Well, good morning. Uh, I wonder if you remember where you were at certain key moments in history. Uh, maybe when Diana died, or 9-11, or for those that were old enough, Kennedy. I wonder if you remember where you were. I remember the night that Princess Diana died. I was at a 21st birthday party, and randomly we were staying up all night playing Guess Who. Do you remember that board game? Uh, and rather than playing it properly, we were making up a whole narrative, a story about the characters in Guess Who. That's what 21-year-old uh, students uh, did in my day. But then I remember someone coming into the room when I was playing this with a sort of ashen look on their face as they said, you've got to turn on the TV. And then I also remember uh, a number of years later uh, at work on September the 11th, 2001, and a colleague who I would then later go on to marry uh, came in to the meeting that we had uh, with a very, very white look on her face and said, you've got to come and watch TV. And we went and the whole organisation gathered around these TVs. I wonder if you remember where you were at certain key moments of history. But have you ever wondered, what if this moment now is one of those moments? What if decades from now, people will look back on this time as being such a time of significant change? I read this quote the other day from a journalist in the Financial Times when he said, we are living through not just dramatic events, but what may well be a hinge in history. Because that was certainly how the character of Nehemiah must have felt as we begin a new series today called Take Hold. And we're going to be exploring the ancient book in the Bible of Nehemiah. Uh, and it's a joy to do this because God has got some really important things to speak to us, both as individuals and for us as a church. And whether you're meeting, uh, doing church at home in groups today and over these coming weeks, or you're watching on your own or you're here in the room, our hope and prayer is that God will help us to take hold of the future that he has in store for us. Because globally, this is a crucial time of change as we come out of this pandemic. Personally, for many of us, it's a crucial moment of change because we don't want to go back to simply how things were. And of course, for us as a church, this is a really significant moment of change. As we begin to dream of a new way of being church and take hold of what that might look like for us. And the figure of Nehemiah is someone we can learn a lot from and be inspired by as he took hold of what God uniquely had for him to do. And I'm utterly convinced if we catch a glimpse of God's heart for us and for this city and for this world, anything is possible in this moment right now with your life. The action in this book takes place two and a half thousand years ago, a long, long time. But it's so relevant for us today. God's people were in exile. What that simply means, they've been ripped from their home and taken miles and miles away to Babylon, forced to live in a culture where they had no time for their God. And although it's an ancient book, there's so much that applies for all of us today. 
Because God, in this moment of global change, wants to use you and me, all of us, so that in decades to come, we might look back and say, that's where I was in this moment of change. What if we can build now for a different kind of world in which the name of Jesus is praised loudly on the streets and the broken are made whole and families are reconciled and enemies become friends? What if we, we can be a new kind of community in which different generations from different backgrounds and different communities can embrace each other as sister and brother. And we boldly hold out the life that we've discovered in Jesus so that people look at us and say, they found life. What if this is the moment for that? And there's three key things in the opening chapter that we've just heard that apply for us as we set the scene for this series. Three key truths, and the first is this. Change, lasting change, comes from desperation. We begin the journey in chapter one with Nehemiah discovering some hard truths about his city, Jerusalem. He's a cupbearer for the king in Babylon and hears about the people back in Jerusalem. We read in verse 2, I, I questioned some friends from the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. Also about Jerusalem, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Things are not good for God's people. They've made some progress in trying to get back to their city. And in the book of Ezra, which is kind of paired with Nehemiah, we read about Ezra and Zerubbabel and progress has been made. Nehemiah stands on the shoulders of giants, but there's still so much to be done because in verse four, his reaction to what's going on is clear. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He sees what's going on and he weeps. Nehemiah is so desperate for God's way that he weeps for his city for days. And that weeping turns to prayer, desperate crying out to God. And I don't know about you, but I long for that kind of hunger in my heart because that's where true change begins with a deep longing an ache for the ways of God in my life, in our city, in our communities. I remember years ago when I was at university, when the tragedy, another major tragedy took place. Uh, Dunblane, do you remember that terrible, tragic uh, school shooting? And I remember I was in the halls of residence where I was at the time. And we were gathered around the TV watching this news and one of my friends from my halls of residence, we said, hey, come on, come on, look at this. And he was adamant he didn't want to look. And we tried to kind of, no, 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 you must see this. And he was really clear he didn't want to look. Why? Because he didn't want to engage as we were engaging. Because he knew what he was seeing broke him. Whereas we were just watching as kind of news. Wow, this is big. Whereas he, his heart was broken. And friends, I wonder if for this moment right now, in our lives, in our nation, in our city, it's that that God wants to do in us. 
And it might be that for some of us this morning, watching online or in the room, that that really resonates with us, that we don't want to go back to how things were pre-COVID. We don't want the same compromise that we've battled with for years. We don't want this church to be just like a stream. We want it to be a raging river bringing life all across our city. And it begins, friends, on our knees in desperation before God. A famous Welsh preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones said these words, The inevitable and constant preliminary to revival has always been a thirst for God, a thirst, a living thirst for a knowledge of the living God and a longing and a burning desire to see him acting, manifesting himself and his power rising and scattering his enemies. Friends, if you've got that burning desire or even just an ember of it, maybe this is the moment where you want to say, God, please fan that into a flyer, fan that flame that I have a heart for you. Because that's such a good place to be if you've got that fire. It's dynamite. And if, like me, you often don't because life just crushes in, maybe at the beginning of this series, as we shift as a church over these coming months, and the prayer is, God, give me your eyes to see my community, to see my street, my workplace, that I might see and be broken because of your heart for it. But what's interesting is where Nehemiah's prayer then takes him, which is the second thing. Because we discover that change not just comes from desperation, it begins with me. This is how he begins his prayer in verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandment, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah doesn't start praying by asking for stuff or by pointing the finger at those out there for all the problems they're causing. He begins by recognising who God is and the problem within. Lasting change, friends, begins not just when we see the need for change out there, but when we see the need for change in here. I remember years ago uh, when I was in London in the church I was at, I remember meeting with the church leader, a lovely guy, uh, and I was kind of offloading on him about all the problems with the church. I remember it and kind of saying, why, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? We should do it like this. We should do it like this. And I can clearly remember his response, which was, okay, go for it. And I remember saying, no, 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 what I mean is you should do it. And he would say, no, 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 if that's your passion, go. And I remember being thinking at that moment, actually, maybe that's the right posture. That rather than them out there, the issues, actually change starts within. It starts with you and me. And friends, as a church, with this passion to bring life to all generations in all communities, If we think that we are the ones who've got it all sorted and everyone else needs fixing, 
We're on slippery slope, friends. No, we are broken. But we've discovered the life of Jesus to make us whole. And so simply we want to help others, other broken people just like us, discover the same life that we have experienced. And it's this posture of humility that sets Nehemiah apart. Yes, he sees the problems, but he knows the problems start here. And so he goes to God in confession, saying, change me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, for my part. Uh, Mark Sayers, an Australian author, says this, all corporate renewals begin with personal renewals. Personal renewal occurs when women and men of God come to the end of themselves. Their discontent begins to solidify into a desire to live in a new way. Humble, holy and hungry patterns of life emerge in which we again become supple clay in the hands of the potter. Friends, maybe some of us are at the end of ourselves and it's in that moment we're saying, God, please have mercy on me and have mercy on our city. In a moment, we are going to take communion together. And there is no better way to begin a new series and a new trajectory as a church because it's where we just do just that. We come before God recognising that salvation and rescue is not on our terms. It's what God has done for us, sinners saved by his amazing grace. God, I need you. Thank you for the overwhelming forgiveness in Christ. And so Nehemiah simply pours out his heart But there's something else that he does. Even though he looks inward for a little bit, the liberating truth of this whole book is where he looks beyond that. And we read these words in verse 8. As he's praying, he says this. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling place for my name. And that's why in verse 5, he simply begins praying with these words. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What he's doing is recognising who God is. But did you notice something? There's a problem. The covenant that God has is with those who love him and keep his commandments. If true lasting change is about me and what I do, well, I don't know about you, but I don't always love God and I don't always keep his commandments. And that's the good news of Nehemiah. Because true change is the work of God. It's his covenant that is relied upon. Yeah, you see, he uses Nehemiah, but it's his promises that are fulfilled. Now, I want to say something just about the book of Nehemiah. So they're not disappointed as we go through over the next seven weeks. Because Nehemiah ends on a bit of a downer. (laughs) because he doesn't quite achieve what he longs to achieve. And maybe that's the point. Because so often we read the Old Testament as though it's a story of heroes that we need to try and emulate. 
Be like Nehemiah. But that's only partly true. Because really, it's a snapshot of ordinary people like you and me who need a saviour to rescue them and a deliverer to do what he needs to do. We, as followers of Jesus, live on the other side of the story. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we read these amazing words. Let me read them. Hebrews chapter 8. God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that. I will put laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Friends, we're on the other side of the story. We've got utter confidence that God is in the business of change because of Jesus. We are forgiven people because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we are empowered, filled with his Holy Spirit. And so therefore, friends, change is not only possible, change is inevitable. And anything is possible because we're Holy Spirit filled, saved people. Nehemiah ends incomplete but we're on the other end of that story. We know what God is doing. And so we can relax because God is at work and it's not about us. I know last week we shared the new trajectory for us as a church and we're excited about it. And I know there are many, many questions. I have them, all of us have them. But what we do know is that God is building his kingdom. Jesus promises to build his church. And so therefore, we will discover as we go along, and it will look very different by the end, but we have every confidence that God is in the business of change. And therefore, we can cry out, Lord, have mercy on me and have mercy on our city and our communities because I want to step forward in the power of the Spirit, holding out the life that Jesus has given to us. And so let's simply step forward with confidence that it's not about us. The power to change our city is not on our shoulders. God is in the business of change. And so as we get to the end of this talk this morning, let's come with a posture of openness through this series, saying, God, use me at this moment in history to build your kingdom. Whether that be by inviting friends to do church at home in your house. Whether that be by simply deciding to pray every day for people in your street or in your community or in your workplace. Whether that be by choosing to do something that you know is a step of faith to hold out the life that Jesus has given to you. Let's take hold with utter confidence because God goes before us.